Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the 1 in 10 political podcast. That's One Nationism and Political Reform, discussed in roughly 10 minute bites and hosted by me, Martin Curtis. Before I start on the meat of this week's episode, I want to say thanks to the Centre for Social Justice who provided me with a lot of information about vulnerability. They're a great organisation, CSJ. I thoroughly recommend them to anybody that is interested in finding more about how conservatism can genuinely have uh, compassion and, and, and heart at its core. Um, and they're not the only organisation that are like that, but they are great. The work they do is um, uh, does conservatism proud. So what do I think are the priorities of a one-nation government? Well, actually, I don't think those priorities are anything that are too extreme, really. I do think they're very similar to the priorities of, of any government, and I'll, I'll get onto that in a minute, um, because some of the issues I want to raise, although I could focus on the current government because the Conservatives have been in power for 10 years, these are problems that have existed for decades and have gone on unreformed. Um, so first of all, I want to say... I, I think there's an there's an overarching uh, responsibility that I wouldn't want to sit uh, anywhere in any tier, and that's about economy. I do think a good economy is absolutely critical, and it's for exactly the reason that the Conservatives used in the election a year ago, which is that if you've got a sound, positive economy, it does mean that the state can therefore use the taxation and the tax revenue that comes from it to deliver its priorities and deliver services for the people of Britain. So I do think that a good positive approach to economy is really, really important. But in terms of political responsibilities, I would say that uh, defence of the realm and law and order sit at the top. And that doesn't mean we should obsess with them. I just think that it is something that any government has to say is its primary concern is to make sure our society is defended and that people are adhering to the law and that we're dealing with people that are not adhering to the law how we deal with them is another issue and i'll talk about that in another episode the next priority for me is protecting and supporting the vulnerable i'm going to talk more about that in a minute but what I would say is I doubt that any politician would disagree with the fact that protecting the most vulnerable in our society is a number one priority. Whether they've delivered on it or not is another matter, and that's what I'm going to talk about in a, in a few seconds. But the next two priorities, I would sit alongside each other. It's difficult to say which is more important. But the first of those is education and skills. Uh, and I do think it's really important that we, we get education right, that we give young adults the skills they need to to, uh, to be productive in society. But it's not just about young adults. And again, I'll talk about that another time. And, and the other one is, is infrastructure. And by infrastructure, what do I mean? Well, I mean the ability to move goods, data and people around the country. Because I do believe if you've got infrastructure that enables that then uh, it means that the economy has the ability to thrive. And I do think this is an area where broadly the Conservatives are getting it right. And again, that will be the subject of another episode. So now let's get back to what I said I was going to talk about as, as a priority, which is about protecting the vulnerable and, and supporting the most vulnerable in our society. And there are a number of things I could talk about that I'm not going to in this area because I try and keep this podcast to 10 minutes. 
examples of that include uh, the ability to deal with poverty and, and another one is the rollout of universal credit but I'm not going to talk about them I'm going to talk about two things that I dealt with as portfolios when I, when I was a counsellor and they are adult social care and children in care let's start with adult social care and I've talked about this before uh, in, in this blog and I um, this is where I start to go on a bit of a rant but we've been promised adult social care reform a number of times and what I mean by reform is genuine reform it's not about throwing a bag of money at a problem in the hope that it'll go away for a short time that's not that's not reform that's not dealing with a problem that's kicking it into the long grass and actually it's never enough money either it's money that sounds a lot to the general public but in reality it isn't enough just as an example of that, the Institute of Government put out some research that basically said the amount government had promised uh, in the last election was was not enough. But actually, Boris also said he had a clear plan. He also promised setting up an all-party group to deal with this within 100 days of, of his government starting. Uh, and he, to, my, to, to the best of my knowledge, still hasn't done it. But at the same time, if you look at the history of adult social care... And let's be clear, it's, it's caused by the fact that people live longer and we should always celebrate the fact that people are living longer. No two ways about it. But the, the, one of the knock-ons from that is that it does mean that there are more people that need support and, and need the care of the state to look after them. As we've seen those numbers increase over the years, we've also seen local governments squeezed and squeezed and squeezed so that they're, they're required to deliver more with less. So when you see an increase in the number of 15-minute appointments that carers are undertaking and government criticising them, it's government criticising local government having not done the necessary reforms to social care in the first place and actually squeezed more and more money out of local government. Now on to children's social care. And again, another little qualifier here. Um, when children come into care and into the care of the state, they often come in with huge issues and that's because they were leading totally chaotic lives through no fault of their own and and it's those chaotic lives that caused them to to uh, and, and caused the state to say we think you would better ha- you would be better having the state as a parent than the parents that you currently have and it be clear that that is the case the evidence from the youth justice board is that only two percent of the current care population were placed there due to socially unacceptable behaviour of their own. The majority of people are in care as a result of abuse, neglect or family breakdown. But having come into care and having become basically some of the most vulnerable people in our society, the state should be throwing everything they can at these people in terms of support, in terms of dealing with the issues they, they, they face to make sure they overcome it. But they absolutely do not. And in fact, in some ways, they do the opposite. So just as an example, recently, we've seen the abuse scandals where evil people have preyed on on looked after children and where whistleblowers were ignored. And you would have thought we've learned from that. But the evidence is that looked after children are also being dragged into the county line structures that are seeing drugs basically shipped all over the country. And outcomes for looked after children remain utterly poor, as they have been for decades. So about a quarter of our prison population have been in care at some point in their lives. You are 70% more likely 
to suffer premature death if you have spent time in care as a child. So whilst our MPs are fighting about issues like immigration or Brexit, reform of adult social care and reform of um, the children's social care system remain on hold. Children are being brought into care and the state are failing to be a decent parent to too many. And in fact, people are allowing evil people to exploit them. So when I say that those with centrist ideologies need to be the ones that drive change in the UK, this is why. These are the issues we need to be demanding are dealt with. These are the issues that we need to be demanding are dealt with as a genuine priority instead of something that somebody can add to a list to say these are my priorities and then do nothing about. I'm going to talk about the other priorities going forward and hopefully I've, I've got uh, a couple of people lined up also to be to be guests on the podcast in the next few weeks. But I'm finished with this one but I hope you can understand this is something I do care about but it's also true that what I say is correct that we are not getting and and we haven't got protection of the most vulnerable in society right for absolute decades as a country and it's something we need to start focusing on. So in my next episode I'm probably going to talk about education and skills a little bit and give a few thoughts there but once again thank you for listening to this episode I really appreciate it and once again if you think I've got a point in what I say if I'm piquing a bit of interest share it share it with people who might also be interested so that I can get this voice heard because I do think it's important the point I'm making this is probably the most important one I've made if we want our priorities to be genuinely dealt as priorities the center ground of British politics has to start speaking up thank you very much for your time